Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky joined tonight by, look at that. Here we go. Boom. Right there. Claire DeLune, you know her from, uh, <laughs> hello. Hi. Were you going to say something? No, I was just oh, dancing. Yeah, I was say, okay. No, because <laughs> we know we're you know, from the Dimes and Dozens podcast. Yes. Um, and, of course, uh, from this show. Uh, yeah. From the last time she was on. So uh, this is, this looked like it was going to be one of those super frustrating, really irritating Lakers nights that was going to push everybody into overtime it and did. all that, but it didn't. So, you know, we, nobody had to deal with that. Everybody should be in a nice, good mood. Um, everything, everything's happy. Yes, that was. I mean, it was only the the sort of the first half of the game that was true to form for all the other ones, which is like the first half looked sluggish and tired and like a little bit apathetic. So I can live with that. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice change. How you been? How's everything going? Oh man, I've been busy as fuck moving into my new apartment, and moving has taken up like every moment of my life the last few weeks. Um. It's just it's just been real real human hours over here. Like no art, no creativity, just packing and unpacking, basically. It's really exciting. I hate moving. It does. <laughs> I <suck>. hate it so much. <laughs> now, especially too. I mean, you know, I don't know. In, I mean, at, the friends that you can ask to help you move are always a very specific thing. Okay. Oh, I would never, I would never ask anyone to help me with anything. Well, I, I'm, I'm I, was, that. <laughs> I, I was going to say the old, the older that you get, the less comfortable you are actually asking for that help. But either that. you, it says that you reach a certain point. Assuming you can, you know, you have the means to do it. Once you are a grown up, you should, you should have professional people move your thing. Sure, absolutely. So I, I'm even bad at that because I did have movers. I hired movers because I had some pieces of furniture that were just. I was literally incapable of fitting in my car. That was the only reason that I even. Um, it's good to know that your table is big. You're like your dining room table and my bed, you know, your most bed importantly. And things like that are too big for your car. <laughs> but so I hired movers. But so I, I had it in my head that so they had a three. This is probably really really riveting content. But they had a three hour minimum, and it was like hundred bucks an hour. And so I was like, I cannot go over three hours because three hundred dollars is already like way more than I want to spend to like have other people you know carry my shit. So I decided to move a bunch of my own stuff first. Yes. So that all that was left, all that was left was like the really heavy duty shit. But, but th then, th but that's exactly though. Really quick, what I'm talking about in terms of just something like that. If say, hey, I'm not asking you to help me move everything, but you know, just some boxes that may be too bulky, but I don't want to pay the movers for that hour. You know, under normal circumstances, you might be able to grab a friend for a couple hours. No, but in never. a pandemic, <laughs> in a, and my point is during a pandemic, it's that just hard. becomes irresponsible. Yeah. I mean, the, my thing is like I am I am like allergic to asking for help. So even not in a pandemic, I am terrible at asking for help when I need it. Um, but so even in this case, so I was just like slaving away for five days of where the movers came, like carrying all this stuff. And then they were done in an hour and a half. Nice. Like a leisurely hour and a half. And I was like, I definitely didn't need to lift a finger. They could have just moved everything. So having people move your stuff, professional movers are the greatest thing in the entire world. They, they were really cool. Um, I, I tweeted about this, but I wish that I wish I had known that they were really hot. They were like two very attractive men. And I was like, I just felt very sort of sort of like bamboozled. I was like, I look like I shit. I tell you what, when you when you, when you 
when you actually fainted on your fainting couch that you had them move, right? You know, because you had the vapors. I mean, did did, did you go to uglymovers.com and end up surprised or something? You know, I just took a recommendation from a friend who works at the ringer and he gave me a mover and I was like, my, my friend who dated me. my friend who dated one of the movers for like six months. I was like, months. you should have warned me that there are a bunch of hot like European men named were Sven. They, were they wearing, did they not have shirts? I mean, like, they, had, they were very European. So they were wearing very tight, like white t-shirts, you know, so they were you know okay while they moved. Yeah, yeah, they might. Yeah, they might as well have been. But um, but no, I mean, so the move itself went OK. But the irony is, is that so I, I decided to leave my old apartment, which I loved because I was on the first floor and I was just constantly hearing stuff. Oh, Nakaya's legend. Um, I was constantly hearing stuff from my upstairs neighbors. And so, you know, I put in my notice and I, um, you know, hit the ground running, trying to look for apartments. And I'm sure you know this, but like once you give your notice after a certain point, if you don't find something, yep. you're just sort of like, well, it's like homelessness or like a subpar apartment. And I found this place and it was really cute and I was running out of time, but it was once again on the first floor. And I was like, well, that kind of defeats the purpose of why I was gonna leave, but I'm also running out of time. So I just took it. And this place is even noisier than my last place. So. <laughs> In every way. I mean, I can hear, you know, same amount from upstairs, but it's also a corner unit in a building that's on a street that has like a decent amount of street traffic. So I hear outside noise. I hear my neighbors walking through this gate that's right outside my door. And then I hear my upstairs neighbor. You like that so, commercial with the cloggers who live upstairs. I, I watch those commercials and I'm like, this isn't even that much of a character of my life. Like, <laughs> this is what my life is like. It's not funny, Geico. It's not funny. It's Stop triggering. Stop making fun of me. Stop trolling me. <laughs> Stop making light of my pain, please. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But I'm. But it's a very cute apartment, and it. It honestly, I'm from New York, and it's a very New York apartment. Like, there's a lot of things falling apart, a lot of things that have been like proverbially fixed with duct tape. You know, like that kind of vibe, and um, it's kind of like a long and skinny apartment which feels very New York to me in like this old charming building and it's noisy as fuck, which is also like New York. So it <laughs> feels like home, you know? That's what I said. But if you want it all that way, you should just move back to New York. I mean, do you, I mean, do you guys know how, I don't know if you've ever lived in New York. I can't remember. Never no. lived okay. New York used, it used to be that New York was vastly more expensive than Los mm -hmm. Angeles. Um, even when I moved here like four years ago, post pandemic, New York City is substantially cheaper than LA. Substantially cheaper, like noticeably cheaper. I would say it's like three to four hundred dollars a month cheaper in rent per apartment than Los Angeles. That is disturbing. It's disturbing. It's terrifying. Like what for what I pay for this place, um, which is already a horrifying amount. I don't even want to talk about it. But like I could get like a nice one bedroom on the Upper West Side of Manhattan right now. Wow. Wow. Yeah, That's scary. it's insane. It's because nobody wants to be in New York for a pandemic and all the New Yorkers who wanted to still be in a city were like, oh, I could live somewhere with a backyard and like the ocean or whatever. <laughs> well, it, it's brutal. I mean, it's I, I, the, I have not moved uh, the last few years. We've wanted to move and for a variety of reasons we haven't. But like every time you really start digging in, it's like, God damn, man. It's like brutal. it's really it's I mean, like there's the, a housing crisis in Los Angeles. So the, one, maybe the biggest regret I have as somebody who's lived in the city now for about 30 years is not recognizing the fact when I was like 23, 24, that 
the likelihood of me staying was really high. Yeah. And and not talking to my parents about just getting help from them, uh, like for, you know, even like a one bedroom house or like so, something where yeah. I could start early on and basically just pay them back after they helped me with the beginning part of it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, because, you know, it was, ex it's always been expensive to live in LA. But it used to be a little bit doable. It used to be. I mean, it was, it was cheaper than New York, but more expensive than the average American. Right. I mean, yeah. it's, it's one of those things I look back on and I was like, man, foresight there would have been really helpful. I mean, like most of the time when you're in your early twenties, it's not something you're thinking about in terms yeah. of like long-term planning. But that's one that if I, if I could do over more than anything else, it would have been the maturity to recognize like, okay, this would have set myself up so much better. Go to somebody who can help. I mean, it looks like you're doing all right though. You've got your nice little ladder bookshelf in the background. You got sort of <laughs> my my ladder bookshelf that by the way is put, put on, together backwards. Put together backwards. Andy, if you ever, if you're ever somebody who needs something put together, do not ask Andy. He is not <laughs> good at that. His, he had a coffee Poor table that, that, was, that was upside down. Like you put the components on, uh, upside down. Yes. Um, that was, chair. that was a I, thing I, that Andy had. This chair I'm sitting on, I put together wrong. The first, I, I bought chairs. I bought a dining, dining room table and chairs and I got the chairs home and like the legs of the chairs came on, like it was like leg, leg bar like this. And I just figured it was like top bar legs, bottom bar legs. And I was screwing it in and like some of the screws weren't lining up and I contacted the manufacturer and I was like, this is a mouth, this is a dysfunctional chair. Like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> How dare I'm, you people? I'm, I was totally, I, I wasn't outraged, but I was just like, you know, you need to send me new, a new chair because this doesn't work. And they're like, uh, can you show us like how you have it oriented? And I showed him on the little chat and he was like, yeah, you have it the wrong way. It's supposed to be like vertical, like leg bar leg. And I just didn't read the instructions because I like I glanced at the instructions and I was just like, oh, I got this. It's like, you know, the little you're, wrench thing and cool bolts. Got it. Yeah. Your fear, your your distaste for asking for help also includes instruction sheets. Like you, I, I have a problem with authority, and yeah. but that is irrelated to my to my problem okay. with like vulnerability, which is asking. So you for open help. the package and you look at the paper that tells you how to put it together. It says you're not the boss of me, and then exactly. assemble. <laughs> I just think I'm smarter than the chair and I'm, I'm fully capable. I'm an intelligent person. There's no way that my common sense and reasoning can't lead me to a functional chair with legs. Did the chair instructions at least have verbal instructions? Because the worst is like Ikea. Oh, no. Those those places. Images. No, so I, 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 and so I, I see, see that and I'm like, fuck you. I'll figure it out. That's like my first I I can never figure out what the hell to do with instructions like that. Like I need it. Is that what happened with your uh, ladder shelf there? <laughs> well, I mean, in fairness, I can make that happen with verbal instructions, but I'm yeah. just saying I I need I need it spelled out clearly. Yes. Like I'm a 6-year-old who who's never I mean, held a school. Yeah. Well, I believe yeah. that's what the pictures are for. <laughs> right, but <laughs> I mean, you can't make something more for a 6-year-old than literally not putting literally words on. Yeah. No, 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 no. Children can't read. No, no, but 6-year-olds <laughs> can read. I mean, not maybe you couldn't well, I, I, think, I think I could. I think I could read at six. All six. What are you talking about? Six-year-olds can read. Not all of them. I, mean, I don't know. Hey, that's that's ableist. Not all six-year-olds can read. Not all six-year-olds. Talking canceled. Ten minutes. Only the, the stupid ones. 
No. <laughs> Only the dumb ones with <laughs> dyslexia or whatever. I'm actually, I'm actually taking up for the six-year-olds across America. I have enough confidence in them mm-hmm. that, that, that I think many can. If nothing else, every six every six-year-old, every six-year-old that is I'm gonna, charged. I'm gonna respectfully bow out. <laughs> I feel, and then we'll we'll shift. But okay. I feel, if nothing else, that every six-year-old confident enough to put together a chair can read. I, but I, I yeah, stand the by my original point. Thank you. But I stand by my original point that you can't make something more simple than literally not putting uh, words in there <laughs> and only putting pictures um, because pictures are simpler. Um, I I do fine with IKEA. I speak I, I speak IKEA photographs. Uh, do photographs. you? I do. Ikea to me is a, it's a weird place because the concept of Ikea, I love, I love like it, love interior design. I love, you know, they have cheap furniture that's really modern and beautiful. Actual Ikea is the seventh layer of hell. I, I hate Ikea so much when I have to go, I get anxiety for days before I go. And then when I go, I've now realized that you can skip the maze part and just go straight into the good shit where they actually keep everything. And so I bypass the maze and I just go to where they keep everything and I go like faster than lightning and I have my list of what I want and I've looked online already and I just like, I don't do the like leisurely Ikea experience where you get like fucking Swedish meatballs and shit. Like I'm just like, get in and get out. You watch couples break up in real time every time you go to an Ikea. <laughs> like Here's what happens when you become a parent. They have small land there. So you can combine small land um, where you can drop a kid off for like an hour. You're like, bye. Um, and you can do this for and free. And then you can go and fight then, with your spouse in the furniture department. Kids eat for free, I think, on like Tuesdays and Thursdays at that time. Do they really? Yes, they do. Um, and so you can you can go <laughs> drop your kid off at small and let them play in this awesome like little play area for whatever. Go and uh, then you have them basically eat lunch for free and get out of there. Like you buy yourself like a cone or something like that. You yeah. spend like four hours at <laughs> Ikea. Well, nothing. No, yeah, I mean, like we would go and buy nothing. And wow. just like, you just relax. Wait, hold on. This is blowing my mind. You go to Ikea like strictly for leisure with no agenda. No, just for child, no strictly for <laughs> child care. Oh my god. No, 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 not leisure. Our lives are I mean, so the different. leisure is being away from the child for an hour and a half or whatever it <laughs> is. Absolutely. And while. I go to Ikea and it's other people's crazy children and couples fighting and people who just moved into a new place and they're really stressed out and all of that residual anxiety just like seeps into my essence and I it's awful. I hate it. It's a really intense Ikea that you're hanging out at. <laughs> like I, I, I've okay. never been to one like that. I, I can only name off the top of my head one place that gives me more anxiety than an Ikea, and it is a Trader Joe's parking lot. Any Trader Joe's parking lot. You know what I respect, though, about Trader Joe's is they're starting to move away from that model of only putting Trader Joe's in places that are, like, deliberately unparkable. Uh, you see more of them now in, like, garages, like, yeah. you know, at underneath apartment buildings and stuff like that. That used to be their thing, and I think they thought it was, like, super kitschy and fun, but it's but not. There's no it's parking? Yeah, no, I hate, I mean, I've never been to a Trader Joe's that wasn't a parking nightmare. And it takes a lot for me to say something is more anxiety-provoking than Ikea. But it, Trader Joe's does that. It feels to me like they've started recognizing that like it went from being sort of a quirky hook for them 
to just kind of a pain in the ass. What, I think is, what is like a quirky hook about being like, you're gonna kill yourself finding a parking spot? Like what what is appealing about that? Even to somebody who likes quirky things. I think just the idea of, oh, you show up to Trader Joe's and you got to deal with their parking lot. And then you go in there and there's the Hawaiian shirts and, you know, the-, the Nothing you've said is like, explain I'm not, <laughs> Look, I'm not saying it appealed to me. I'm not, right. I'm not saying I specifically shopped at Trader Joe's because I wanted to deal with the adventure of the parking lot. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I think for a while well, that's sort of- I was it, was that, it was also, it was also you, you got buildings like that really cheap. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like the parking yeah. lot is really expensive, yes. and so because they didn't pay money for like high price retail that came with big parking lots, they could keep prices low. I would imagine is what it actually is. Yes, I, I don't. You know, they spun it that way. Like that's what I'm talking about. It, it got no, spun. It was, it was oh, okay. So it's part of the spin. For me, I haven't been to a Trader Joe's in many months because in a pan in the pandemic, it's like there's always a line, always like a yes, long line. And I don't, I don't, there's nothing, there's no product at Trader Joe's I feel passionately enough about to wait in line for. Like, it's not a fucking club. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't need those jerk plantain chips that bad. I can, I can pass and go to like Whole Foods or whatever. I'm oh, good. You do. Out of one side of your mouth complaining that, oh, I can't afford the movers for more than three hours, but I'll go to Whole Foods. I have priorities. I do have oh, priorities. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I I spend money on food and beverage. That's like what's important in my life. Like I I used to, before the pandemic and stuff, I used to thrift like 90% of my clothes or like Urban Outfitters clearance rack or whatever. Like I don't care, like consignment store. I'm not like a designer person. Um, I don't need to spend a lot of money on like, yeah, fancy things. Like I drive a Honda, a Honda 2017 Honda Civic. Like I'm not like a, a luxury person, but I am a bougie bitch when it comes to my food and beverage. As you it's said, very important to me. If you got to take something seriously, you, you know, like we're, I love to we're cook. allowed I love three to cook. meals a day. Yeah. We're allowed to eat three times a day. The thing about cooking food. is you don't have to be like an incredibly skilled chef. If you use really good quality ingredients and you just keep it simple. Like that's the secret to good cooking is like, Simple, but really good quality ingredients. Yeah, you just got to find the Whole Foods where the hot movers shop, and then you've got everything taken care of in one spot for you. I mean, the, the one I forget his the guy's name. It was like Jan or something. <laughs> <laughs> like they were like cliche, like like big strapping Swedish men. But he was like, "Oh, I like." This is gonna be such an offensive accent. I'm so sorry in advance because I'm not good at accents. But he was like. Oh, I like this apartment. It's very, it's cute. It's bigger than your last one. Whatever. Like, he's just like, I like very nice floors. And I was just like, yeah, come over, Jan. Like, come, come in. Why, well, yeah, there's you space for you awesome. here as well. You know, Jan, I don't normally give my house keys to the mover, but, but it's case. extenuating circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'll so never where are you in vaccinations? <laughs> I mean, for real though, <laughs> like that's the, that's the million dollar question is like, I is this know, some, bad for There's going to be moving again in like, uh, like I've been, it's been a long time since I've been on a date. I wouldn't even know what a, what a first date combo sounds like at this point. It's been a good, what? Like well, it's, mostly, it's mostly apartment moving now. That's how people are doing it. That's what people talk. What's what people talk about oh, on dates? If this was a date, I don't think it'd be going very well because we've only complained so far. That's, that's all we've done. So I think it would be a pretty, pretty bummer of a first date. This is this is a great rom com idea though, where you every you you just keep signing a series of leases, but you can't quite 
get up the nerve to ask Jan out. So you just keep asking him to come and be the mover. And so every year he moves you from one apartment to the next. And then by like year eight, you and Jan finally. Like, it turns you know, out his name's actually like John or something. And I just assumed it was Jan because he had an accent. Month to month love. Month to month love. Month is a great name for a rom com. Great yes. name. Yes, it is. There you go. All right. Um, um, I'm glad we've covered. We've we've really solved a lot of problems and covered a lot of ground. Um, I mean, far. buy good quality groceries and don't and love yourself more than to wait in line at Trader Joe's. Only get ugly movers unless you look great. Um, only go to Ikea if you have children. Yeah, we've oh, solved like people, a lot. You have crazy. a three-year-old or a four-year-old that you need to get, you know, unload for an hour. Small land. At, yeah. at, it, is, it is the jam. You can eat there oh, afterwards. The food is cheap and good. Absolutely. Um, all right. So we, we, we briefly alluded to it. The Lakers did play a game tonight. They did. Um, and they won. It, it, they did, and it was looked like it was going to be one of these super irritating and frustrating games. And Memphis mm -hmm. goes up thirty-one to sixteen. And I guess, Claire, the difference between this one, uh, where the Lakers just throttled them in the in the yeah. second half, and the other ones where they ended up in overtime, was Anthony Davis and Alex Caruso. I guess that's just. <laughs> the thing. I mean, we'll never know. That is really Tom funny. Mic drop. We'll never know. Vance Williams praying you don't have a hilarious situation here, Claire, after the Swedish accent. <laughs> I mean, that would be a very shrewd, shrewd move. Just that get single get single girls to get impressed with you as a mover by being an exotic European hunk. It's you would have been hot. You would have been a hot American too. It was the body. It was the body more than the accent. Let's be real. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> did he like pour water over his head like? <laughs> No, it was the tight white t-shirt. It's always the tight white t-shirt. Let me try out the new pole in your apartment. <laughs> I'm sorry. I my, my t-shirt is dirty. I must put on another I'm sorry, one. I need to change. <laughs> I am so sweaty from moving. This sounds more like the beginning of a porno than a rom-com, to be <laughs> well, honest. I'll be honest with you, Claire. The whole thing sounded like the setup to a porn film. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I know, but it's very wholesome for you to say it sounds like a rom-com. Not, that's not what it sounds like to me, but... I digress. <laughs> it's, it's 2021. Andy and I still tread carefully with this. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Jan's female muscle. privilege. I don't have to tread carefully. Um, I, can do, I can go. You can do whatever you want. That is true. Now, <laughs> you, okay. The, the The Lakers have been making the, a habit lately of getting off to these really, really slow tonight, wretched starts. Oh yeah, I, I, I saw brutal. a stat. Saw a stat tonight on Spectrum. Um, the last four games, first quarter they have been on average minus nine point four. The yeah. next three quarters plus twelve point five. So they're winning these games. You know, I believe it's now a seven game winning streak, but they're making it seemingly more difficult at times and definitely more taxing than they would like. And you know, even watch. Yeah, I, to be it's honest. To watch. it is horrible to watch. I was going to really ask, bad. as a big time emotional fan, and anybody who follows Claire on Twitter at Claire MPLS will see your your emotional reaction in yeah. real time to all these things. Just like a woman, am I right? Such a girl. <laughs> I, 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 I'll leave that. I'll leave that type of potential misogyny to y'all. That's not where I go. But like, wh what is it like for you as somebody who really is invested in this, watching them go through these type of like uphill dogfights? 
I mean, it's like left brain, right brain. Like I know intellectually that these months don't matter. And I know that they, the majority of the team is still there and they developed incredible chemistry last year. They really put in their all, all the whole season last year, all 82 games or however many games ended up being before they ended the season. And they developed incredible team chemistry and they really only added and subtracted like a handful of pieces. So I know that they're probably fine and there's probably nothing to worry about. But A, it's miserable to watch. And B, I do have a very, I would say like a 5% part of me that's like the formula to the success last year, I, th I thought, was this incredible chemistry that they built over the course of the regular season. And so to me, they were the only team really coming into the playoffs that had like stellar team chemistry. And that was sort of firing on all cylinders and everyone knew their role very clearly. And it was very like, a well-oiled machine. And I thought that that was what set them apart from, you know, several other teams besides just that they have more talent, you know, obviously that you've got LeBron and AD, like that's going to get you far. But I thought that the team chemistry was really their other like secret sauce last year. And it makes me a little nervous. Like when they just sort of phone it in for two to three quarters a game, like I, where that chemistry is getting built, I know it's probably fine. And like 95% of me isn't worried, but 5% of me is like, hmm. I really hope that doesn't bite them in the ass. It's interesting. I actually, earlier in the season, I do think that they were coasting in a lot of ways and and, and I think kind of surgically conserving their energy because yeah. they, they, I think for a lot of rightful reasons, you know, the quick turnaround that they had from the finals run to the startup of the season, exactly. yeah, the, mileage on, the mileage on LeBron, you know, the toll on AD, which, you know, we've seen over the course of the season, including the games that he recently missed. Yeah. But the last, you know, handful of games, five, seven, eight games, I don't think this is necessarily a matter of them just coasting. Like, I, I actually wonder if collectively they've kind of hit a, a fatigue wall because yeah. all of a sudden together they look like they're often struggling. And, they, I mean, like they really, really rely on guys like Kuz and Trez and THT who did not play much tonight at all. Yeah. But to, but to provide a lot, a pretty big spark of energy. Yeah, I mean, I totally, I totally get that. First of all, I get the physical fatigue because they did just they had seven weeks off after a pretty brutal emotional physical run, and then had to come right back. So obviously, I knew they were going to sort of ease their way into the season, and that makes sense. But also emotionally, like this has been such a trying time for everyone, and basketball players are human beings, and I totally understand that. Like we're all fucking exhausted at this point, like emotionally, you know, like spiritually, <laughs> you know, it's just been a lot. And you know, the you can't really like overstate the toll it takes on you to be so sort of like vigilant and on edge about trying not to get sick all the time. Like that in and of itself is just like really exhausting especially when you're a professional athlete and not only could it like impact how many games you can play for your team, but also like the after effects could be like pretty serious. So I, I try and give them like all of the benefit of the doubt, just as like have some empathy, the fact that they're human beings, but also like, I think, you know, senioritis is real and they just won a championship and it's like really hard to get up for every single game when you it's know funny. that you're probably yeah. way better than literally every team in the league. I <laughs> so. I was talking about this. I forget who I was talking about this with, whether it was on this show or something. We're always talking about something. That's all we do. Uh, <laughs> but like, 
there are so many teams around the league that are, are really kind of interesting, you know, that are fun to watch. And yeah. you sit there and you look at it, and most of them aren't necessarily that good. They're, you know, Charlotte, it's team. Yeah, you know, that was like the first these, team I thought of when you said interesting, but not good. <laughs> right, but like these weird teams that have kind of fun players and they're, yeah. they're not good. They don't matter. And then there are teams like the Lakers where we know exactly how they good, which is really fucking good. Like they're, yeah. they're we know what they are. Yeah. And it's just a matter of, can they get there without something bad happening? So I, in some ways I'm more kind of fascinated and interested in the, some of the mediocre teams in the league. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm more interested in golden state and what, you know, the weird stuff happening there Phoenix, who isn't going to win a title, but has all kinds of Phoenix has been stuff. really, really fun to watch. I they're thought great. And they're good and all that. And yeah. they're, they're competitive. They're going to win a title. I'm, I'm more interested in those things than I am sort of the, the the you know we the subtle stuff that that it matters with the Lakers, but at the same time, ultimately we know it's like how good is LeBron and a how good are LeBron and AD going to be in the playoffs? I mean, like ultimately that's kind yeah. of what we're talking about here, and I want them to fast forward to the part where it really matters and nobody gets hurt. I mean, that's the thing. It's like everybody that's the thing is like these games for teams like Phoenix and Charlotte and stuff. Like this is the show. This is not the dress rehearsal. Like. They're, they might make a dent in the playoffs. Their ceiling is not a championship this year. So, like, this is what you get up for if you're a team like that because these regular season games are your your final performance right. kind of thing. If you're a team like the Lakers or Philly or something like that, like, your ceiling is the finals and potentially a championship. And so these are a dress rehearsal, and, you know, they're treated as such. And as a fan, like, you know, that's understandable and we're smart enough to know that, but it's also like, it's a product that they're selling and the product fucking sucks during the regular season because they're trying to save their health, you know, like I get it. I will say the one thing though, that does worry me, like the legit, like the slow starts and overtimes against, you know, three team, three games, two teams that aren't that good. Yeah. That stuff doesn't bother Double me. Double overtime much, against the distance. Oh my God. That, that bothered me because I had to watch it. Not because I worry about so, Two American overtimes against the Pistons. Yes, um, but like it was, that was just mean to make people watch it. But it doesn't. Right. It's not going to impact whether or not they win a title. No, the, the three point shooting is starting to kind of remind me of last year, where for most of the year I was like, I don't know how they're good enough at shooting the basketball. And then the bubble came around in the playoff bubble, and they were really good. And then they were great at the beginning of this year, and now they it's like. Vogel talked about it in the pregame. What you know, I was expecting to be like, oh yeah, you know, he was asked about the the, the last five or six games where they're they're right around thirty percent, actually under thirty percent in the last six games now. Yeah, and he, I expected the, this typical coach answer. Oh yeah, we're getting good looks and those little knockdown and this. And he basically said, yeah, we regressed to the mean a little bit. Um, you know, yeah. we kind of came back to earth. Um, so if he thinks that a lot of what they were doing was unsustainable. I kind of worry that what they were doing was unsustainable, not in ways that like they're going to shoot 40 something percent all year, but like, are they going to shoot 35% this year? Yeah. I mean, three? that worries me. And then the other thing that worries me is like, I do think that Dwight and JaVale did bring a certain grit to the center position that like, I get that Trez has that to some degree. Obviously Marcus is not going to be that person for you. Like they're missing some like gritty size, I think now. And I don't think that's a deal breaker. Like, like I said, I'm not like panicking, but I do think that's the kind of thing where it's like in the regular season, maybe not such a big deal in the playoffs. Like that might 
that might be more obvious. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was looking up some stats a few days ago, and their defense, obviously, on balance, has still been really good by, mm-hmm. by most measures. No, they have, like, what is it, like one of the best defenses in the league, yeah. if not the best? Yeah. But their actual percentage allowed at the rim has gotten worse this year. Like, it's mm-hmm. not it's not terrible, but it's worse than it was last year, and they're definitely not blocking shots the same way. And I think it, it really – speaks to the importance of point of attack defense for this team. Like that's that's their rim protection this year is in part is just not letting people get get there. Right. And it on one hand, because you're seeing that the overall defense has managed to sustain itself pretty well, they they can make this work. And at times they make it work really, really well. But this is also where I wonder if fatigue is starting to set in. Because these guys may not have the energy to start out possessions defensively the way they want to. And then that back line that you're referring to last year with JaVale and Dwight, who were able to erase a lot, whether you're talking about mistakes yeah. or just really quick guards or really quick threes yeah. who get past that first line, you know, just able able to erase some of that. They they don't have that this year. But it does, well, I mean, how much is, I don't know if that matters though that much, Claire. I mean, if the ultimate but it's also if the they're getting there, you know, putting up the numbers. I mean when this team is firing on all cylinders, I don't think that there's a single team in the league that can beat them. So that's why I feel mostly pretty comfortable is because I just think in a seven-game series, I don't feel super threatened by any team at the moment. But I will say the alchemy between the regressing to the mean of the three-point shooting in combination with the limit, like the defense maybe taking a little bit of a backslide in, in at least for, as far as room protection goes – like I don't love that combo. Um, yeah. I don't feel amazing, nope. it, but I think I think they're going to be fine. I just think my my thing is like when they encounter, you know, if and when they encounter a team like the Nets. Not saying the Nets are going to be able to get their shit together enough to get to the finals, but should they um, get their shit together? Like if you have like an offensive juggernaut. Like like the Nets, I feel like you obviously your defense has to be amazing, but your offense has to be like. I mean, like you can't. You have to be shooting lights out against. Isn't a team that, like but isn't that the point? Like because the defense, the, the defense tonight was bad in the first quarter, but you know they held Memphis to what was the final score of that game? The Memphis scored hundred points. One hundred five. One hundred five. I mean, like they they clamped down on them pretty yeah. well defensively. They they were good defensively against Oklahoma City. They were fine. Like their numbers have been good defensively. Yeah. They can't score. Like yeah. the half court is where the Lakers have really gotten mucky and ugly is in their half court offense they're turning the ball over a lot and you know the the you know the, the stuff they did tonight with turnovers they put pressure on their defense to put in probably should have put up worse numbers than they actually did what was the stat they, they said tonight they're like 25th in turnover like just they're like so bad with turnovers they, right. like, they've been bad all year and they were bad last year they yeah. they, they were this team like I, I i know i've said this a bunch of different times but there's no official stat for this or i don't even know how you'd quantify it but the lakers lead the league in avoidable turnovers like they must they're they're just they but that's the senioritis to me to me that's the like we've been here i mean last year they were coming off missing the playoffs and they did it i mean this is this is kind of who they are some people don't take academics that seriously (laughs) i'm just saying i mean that they they have not been good taking care of the ball like the last few years. And, it, you know, it's not like one of those things where they don't have enough guys who can handle the ball or make plays 
where just the lack of talent puts them in a position where they shouldn't be passing. The issue is they just are careless. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, for a team that has been often incredibly focused, they're still really careless that way. And I think it's just who they are. The other thing that I think is like a little bit underestimated is I think they did benefit from being the one seed last year. Like I know that home court advantage wasn't a thing, but I think their matchups were pretty favorable like throughout. Like they didn't play a team that really threatened them until a healthy Miami and then Miami was, you know, not healthy for most of the way. So like they people I remember there was chatter about Houston, there's chatter about Portland, but really none of them were like a threat to them. And I'm like, can you guys please secure the one seed? Like, can we not fuck around with being a two seed this year? Like, let's not, let's not get matchups we don't need. Like, come on. The West is stacked this year. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's not I, worth, maybe it's not worth breaking your back to be the one seed. I, I, maybe it, is, it isn't. I, I don't think it is. And they look, I mean, they're, they're winning a lot. They're not losing games. I mean, I, I realize they are not currently first in the Western Conference, and Utah is, and we can talk about the Jazz here in a minute, who beat the uh, the the Bucks tonight by 14. It's a week from Wednesday. The Lakers play the Jazz. I mean, the, the people are pointing to the Brooklyn game on Thursday this week, or almost this week, but it's the week following where they play Utah that is probably the more uh, meaningful game, I think, yeah. to say the least. But they're, I mean, they're 21 and 6. They've won seven in a row. Um, the ninety-five percent of me that thinks they're going to win another title this year feels great. There's just there's I, a there's a five percent part of me that's like a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, and, and we can we'll move on here in a second, but like you know, it's it's the combination that they had last year where they weren't a great three-point shooting team and they weren't a great free-throw shooting team, and they kind of they they turn the ball over like you can you can get yourself into trouble when you're bad at all that stuff. Yeah. Um, they they weren't bad in the playoffs. Right. Which gives you, you know, they were, and even tonight, Anthony Davis was awesome. 35 mm-hmm. points. Only took four free throws. So yeah. like, that's not, that's a lot of mid-range jumpers. Um, so. I mean, I was just relieved that he's, he's starting to look like himself again, because I feel like a lot of it gets to be mental at a certain point. Like whatever injury is nagging him, like you see yourself miss shots and it just makes you miss shots. Like regardless of what the actual like anatomy is going on. So I think it's just it's just good for him. It's good positive reinforcement to like have visual proof that like you rule at basketball. As, like, as soon as really a couple, <laughs> as soon as a couple threes go, he actually made that joke though. Somebody asked me like, "Do you know? Have you ever seen anybody like LeBron who can just turn it on and control a game and this and that?" And he made the joke like, "Yeah, you're you're looking at him." And he was sort of joking. Yeah, there was, but, no, but there was there's nobody there to laugh, which I think made it awkward. Like, yeah. In a normal media scrum, we would have been like, oh, yeah, good line, AD. But he wasn't kidding, and I don't no. want him to be kidding about that. Yeah. Yeah, especially because fuck you, Charles Barkley, because Charles Barkley's whole trope that he keeps oh, going back to is, like, he's not a dog. He doesn't want it bad enough. And I'm just like, you've never won a championship. Like, can we can we chill? Can we can we chill? Like, Anthony Davis has approximately one more championship than you at this point. So. I'm very much over the crew um, motivated. I, Young players. It's not motivating. It's trolling. It's not. I mean, you can. I don't know. I we've talked about this on dimes and dozens, but like, I think the narrative that they tell themselves to justify doing it is that it's motivating. But like, we know as viewers, like anyone watching knows that it's just it's a combination of like trolling for ratings because we all talk about it as we are right now, and also the fucking incredible ego and narcissism that comes with being an NBA superstar 
where you just like can't leave well enough alone once you're retired. You just like, you have to insert yourself in that conversation. You have to be the arbiter of, of what's good and what's exceptional. Yeah. And it's lame. Yeah, I mean, I, there may have been a period like earlier on in the inception uh, of the TNT crew and them working together with some of these guys where there there may there may have been a, a motivational element in some way, like in their heads. Oh, I love it, Inside. I used to love that show so much. But, but at this point, it feels like guys, like particularly Barkley and Shaq, are just kind of particularly filling, Shaq. filling yeah. the role they think they're supposed to be playing. Right. Role, I mean, it's, yeah, it's SNL basically. Right. You know, it's I, like, and the, I, I mean, with, with with Shaq and that that interaction with Donovan Mitchell, that was the, horrifying. Right. The like, reason, I was horrified. <laughs> but like the the reason to me, like it felt obviously that even if Shaq was trying to justify this on some level to himself, whether he bought it or not, mm-hmm. that he that he was motivating Donovan Mitchell. It, the, the part where I didn't buy it is when he said all this stuff. And Mitchell responded with basically, just, okay. Yeah, that was the and, perfect response. Like, okay, but, you fucking but, troll. But Shaq, <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but the thing about it, though, is once that happened, Shaq actually looked bored by it. Like, he actually looked like he yeah, lost interest. Yeah, he was just interest. trying to get a rise out of him. Right. Like, like, that's all it is. Right. Like, once he didn't get the rise from Donovan Mitchell, it felt like he lost interest in it. So, at that point, it's like, well, then how interested are you actually in motivating this guy? Whole thing. Also, Donovan Mitchell's been amazing, and he's been better every year that he's been in the league. So, like, all of the, the feedback that Shaq is giving him is, like, he's like, oh, yeah, you, you could be better. Or you don't have it or whatever. He's, what is he, like, 24 or some shit? Like, and he's gotten better every year that he's been in the league, and his team is currently number one in the league as far as a record. So, like, I think he's fine, dude. Well, it's also it's, it's downward punching. I mean, because look, Shaq is one of the all-time greats. He just yeah. he and you know at at his peak, he is one of the most dominant players, not just in NBA history, but like in any sport. Oh, one hundred percent. Donovan Mitchell, the likelihood of him ever matching that, even acknowledging how great Donovan Mitchell is, even acknowledging he is the type of player that could be, you know, if not literally the undisputed alpha dog of a championship team. He certainly could be somebody who is an important integral part of winning a championship. Right. The likelihood of him matching what Shaq did is damn near impossible because 99.9% of players who ever go through the league won't even have a shot at it. So by yeah. definition, Shaq is punching down with this stuff. But also I just think, and I, I talk, I've talked about this at length, too and i know that this conversation has sort of been done i don't want to like you know belabor it too much but it's not good business to talk shit about the product that you're selling and like something that struck me about the game tonight was like richard jefferson who's like new at at doing color commentary i think he's been doing a great job something that i think he does that's so cool is he's just like like belligerent positivity like just constantly giving you like compliments about players on both teams and just being like that's why yeah. i love john Morant, and that's why anthony davis is so exceptional and kyle kuzma is making strides and it's like that's how you sell a product is like you convince people that it's worth yeah. watching and you, you give them reasons to get invested in the players and this, there's this whole subset i wouldn't even, i don't even say subset i would say there's a vast majority of people who cover the sport whose entire shtick is talking about how much it sucks how yes. much the players suck how it's gone downhill and then they're like 
like pearl clutching over ratings. And I'm like, yeah, you tell everyone the product is shit. Like, what the fuck do you expect? That's, that's why I mean, I, I, I've come around on Reggie Miller because he's one of the only guys on a national broadcast. It's like, this is fun. These guys are awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, that's, for all we, good. that's all we're for. Yeah. Really? You know what I mean? Let's, like, yeah. So yeah, let's let's answer this question from Vance Williams before okay. we move on because I want to talk all-star game and, and a little bit of anthem and then some James Harden because he talked to Rachel Nichols and uh, Andy, at least for one, was not buying what he was selling. So uh, we'll, we'll bring that. We'll bring that to you here in a heartbeat. But okay. who are the three teams, Andy? You 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 answered in the chat, so you go first. You've already got your three. Um, I said Clippers, Sixers, and health assumed Boston. If Boston is really healthy, I think they've got a lot of different guys that they can throw at LeBron to at least make LeBron work and maybe be disruptive. And if you disrupt LeBron, you're disrupting a lot of what the Lakers do offensively. And, you know, you got to guard the hell out of them. I mean, Tatum and uh, uh, Jalen Brown, who's been fantastic this year. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. Um, you know, do I think they're going, do I think they're going to beat the Lakers? No. I, I think the Lakers are going to repeat. I said that at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. But if you're asking me the three that, relatively speaking, would concern me the most. It's those three in the sense that I think they've got the best combination of either players that you can throw at LeBron to make things difficult, or in the case of the Sixers, players that you can throw at AD to make things difficult, like one or the other. So yeah. I would go with those three. I would put my money on full squad, healthy, the Lakers beating any of them, yeah. but those are the top three to me. For sure. Claire? Um, I, I think Boston's gonna be their own their own worst enemy. Like I don't think I don't think that I they don't threaten me too much. And that it's a shame because I think they do have a lot of talent and stuff, but I just feel like for there's something just not clicking there. Kind of reminds me of Dallas this season. Like there's no exact thing I can pinpoint as to why they should be doing as be, like as meddling and mediocre as they are, but they just are. For me, it's um similar. I, it would be Clippers. Philly and and Brooklyn um, just because I think you know obviously like the Lakers defense is like what is their bread and butter and I it, again like I feel like they're going to repeat I think they could take any of those teams but Brooklyn is like a level of offense that's like historical Correct. offense and I don't think that I think that what you need to beat Brooklyn is you need really great defense which I feel pretty good about with the Lakers but you need at least exceptional offense. You don't need to have historical offense to beat them because if you can defend some of their offense, I think you'll be okay. But you need to be like top tier, like exceptional offensively to beat them, I think, because yeah. they'll just outscore you. Um, I, and I, yeah. yeah, we'll see. I, 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 tell me what you about this because Andy and I have this debate all the time uh, about Brooklyn. He, and to summarize, Andy doesn't think they're good enough defensively and, and aren't going to get good. They're Is that fair? Andy, they're pretty, yeah, they're just, they're terrible. Yeah, they're right really now, bad. My thinking there is in a seven game series, definitionally, it means that they got to the finals. It's the only way that they're going to play the Lakers. If they got to the finals, it means they exactly. probably figured it out the defense enough to get to the finals to make them threatening. And so, like, yeah. if they're there, so you agree with me. Yes. If they get past the entire East to get to the finals, then it, I'm nervous. right. But I'm saying I don't think they can get past the East. I mean that that's the counterpoint to your argument. I don't think I think the argument doesn't really exist. They're okay, not going to get that far. Counterpoint to your counterpoint. Oh, 
Oh, who in the, okay. Who in, the East, right. who in the East do you think you would put, you would bet the house that Brooklyn can't beat in seven games? Philly, um, health assumed they Boston. Cannot, but you don't think they you don't think like, can they be Philly in, seven games? Philly in a seven game series? I no, I don't think they that. Who the hell is going to stop in MB? It doesn't will, matter. MB it doesn't matter. You've got James Harden, Kyrie Kevin. Irving, and Kevin Durant at, at full health miraculously. Ke- Kevin like, Durant. They're small ball. The small ball five. Kevin Durant's going to end up fouled out in the first half. Like I, th- I just they feel will like destroy them. You can score, you can be Philly, you can play incredible defense, you can score 125 points. And Brooklyn, even with your incredible defense, could score easily score like 140. Like I just feel like that offense is insane. And I I do think to me, I think they have a similar situation to what I was talking about with Boston and then the Mavericks, where I feel like um, <laughs> um that's really funny. Uh I feel like they could be their own downfall. And my my question with Brooklyn beyond their defense has always been like, are they just gonna get in their own way on a personnel level? And I don't think that's like like a trolley question. Like I no, think that's no, real. No. And we've already seen like like Kyrie can't help himself but to disparage his teammates in a scrum and you know what I mean, like stuff like that. So it's still it's a long season and, and they're a lot. They're just a lot. They're a lot. It's a lot of drama, and we'll see if they if they get in their own way. If they don't get in their own way, and they're firing on all cylinders, and their offense is clicking, and they're getting along, that's a historical offense. It, like it I just don't. Be. I just I think having to rely on historical offense because your defense is that terrible. Yeah. Like your your margin for error at that point becomes pretty much non-existent, even when you're dealing with one side of the court. That is historical. Yeah. Like if you if you if you play merely awesome, it won't likely be good enough. But for that's, example, that's with the assumption that they can't get ordinary. They can't. On they can't. You only they're, need okay. Here's the thing: you only need two of those. Their personnel three. sucks. They because cannot get ordinary. That is not true. Okay, so first of all, defensively, yes, their personnel does not suck though. They're incredibly deep. And, and I think that, you know, obviously like they lost, like losing Jared Allen was huge for them because that was like, that was their defense. And that was also like a big part of their size. And now they're relying on washed ass DeAndre Jordan. But I will say. So far, you're not making your argument very well. But, but there is a, there's a but, but like, so say James Harden's having an off night. You still have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Those are two Hall of Famers. Like, and defensive. then and then you have Joe Harris, who won the fucking three point contest a couple of years ago. Like, I, I think they'll be fine offensively. I'm not. I, I don't. No, but what I said was defensively. I don't think they have the personnel that you no, can but, even put together average defense. But you said offensively, they have to. Their margin for error is really low, and I'm saying right, I think their margin for error is pretty big because they they're pretty deep as far as their offensive talent goes. My, my basic thing here is before we, we get off this one is just that I agree with Andy in the sense of like, they are just as likely to lose in like the second round of the Eastern conference playoffs as they are to get to the finals. Like I'm not, I, but the idea that they can't, here's where I disagree with Andy is that they can't, like they, right. that they, that they, they are incapable of getting to this, of, of getting to this place where, they're not going to be good enough defensively to beat Milwaukee or not going to be good enough defensively to beat Philly or all this stuff. Because, like Claire says, because she's smart and gets to come back for a third appearance at some point. She frozen, so I apologize if my image is frozen. No, you're good. I can okay. see you. You're moving. Um, like, all, like, they can, they, they, the, the, the level that they have to improve defensively isn't that big. 
to be able to give themselves that kind of like, look, they're going to have to win every finals game, 138 to 127. Right. Like, there's no question about that. And by the way, I would totally sign up to watch that. Yeah. That'd um, be really fun. But the idea that they can't do it, won't, maybe, can't. I'm not buying, I can't buy. Well, can't. that's the thing. I preface my three I preface my three picks by saying I agree with you that I think the Lakers are going to repeat. I don't, and I I said at the beginning of this podcast, I don't think that there's any team in the league that I feel confident can beat the Lakers four games out of seven. I don't feel that way. That being said, if there were a team that could do it, you cannot tell me that Brooklyn is not one of those three teams. Like that. I think I just did. (laughs) Sound off in the comments if you disagree. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so we'll take your calls off what, air. What do you guys think about Gregory First Elway? Time on time. Yeah. <laughs> Love your show. Love your show. I mean, as um, Nathan, as the Nathan Mark just said, DeAndre Jordan is the most important man. Hello, hello, Yeah, I mean, he's kind of right. Emphasis on the hello, 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 hello. It's a lot of laughing. Gregory Elwood on the on Twitter asked the question when we put out the, the you know we, when we tweet out this question asks why is no one afraid of Utah um, who by the way are winning in the Western Conference right History? now well not for me well that I I look at their wings and it's like Joe Ingles and like I don't even know who else like they don't I for me I don't think they have enough pressure they can't pressure the Lakers on the wing yeah. defensively. And they, I don't know how they guard LeBron. I, I think Utah no, yeah. is legit good. I think they're a really legitimate good team. I don't think they match up well against the Lakers. No, that's, exactly. that's, I think if the Lakers, in a different world, they would be absolute monster title favorites. If they didn't have they, to go through the Lakers to get yes. to the finals, they're a finals caliber team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. I, absolutely. I, I think it, like there's a difference between saying that a team isn't good and saying they don't match up well against the Lakers. It's like, you know, in theory, the the Clippers match up really well against the Lakers. Like whether you think they can actually beat the Lakers in a series is another story. Right. But in terms of the chance, yeah. Right. In terms of the things that you would look to try to do to beat the Lakers or the the components that you would look for. The Clippers have a lot in that, in that they just yeah. they have a lot of different looks that you can throw at LeBron. Right. And again, do I think it'd be enough to beat the Lakers in a series? Probably not, but I can I can really see how it could happen. But talk about you a low margin of error. If you're the Clippers, your margin of error is like zero against the Lakers. You have no margin of error. I'm already revising my list. I had Sixers, Clippers, Brooklyn. Now I'm thinking harder about you have the same ones as me, and you're gonna change yeah. them. I'm so offended. Why would I change them? <laughs> No, I thought you said you were revising your list. No, but I'm, now I'm, I'm thinking about it. I mean, if I had a fourth team, it you would probably be Utah. I already said you get to come back because you agree with me, and you're obviously very smart. Um, <laughs> but now I'm wondering, like, are we underselling Milwaukee a little bit here? No. Okay. Um, that's fair. I, I, I kind of, but, like, if I, if I had a fourth team, it would probably be Utah. Just Quinn Snyder's hair is gorgeous. Uh, okay, did you guys watch Daria in the 90s? Yeah. Oh, Quinn yeah. Snyder is the teacher from Daria. <laughs> like the one with the one eyeball popping out. I, that's all I can see when I look at him. Quinn, Quinn Snyder is one of the most intense looking people I've ever seen in he my life. He looks like he just freebased like a, an entire country's worth of cocaine every time. Yes. That he- 
Yes. And, and still <laughs> managed to show up to coach the game because he's a pro. Sweating profusely. Yeah. Yes, but he's a pro's pro. Like he, he is. He, he he's a great coach. Yeah, he's he, very, he looks, he's very he looks like the guy in the mid to late 80s who, like you said, was right. all into all the cocaine. Yeah, but very American psycho vibes. Yeah. Yes, but he cares about his job at the yeah, end of the day. I don't want to meet him in a dark alley, though. I'm not going to lie. Whereas no. Frank Vogel, I feel like I would trust him with my life implicitly. Frank Vogel is a very different vibe. Yes. Yeah. Not to say that Quinn Snyder isn't a good guy. But Frank Vogel gives you very trusting vibes. I bet you Frank Vogel could grill the fuck out of a burger. That's the vibe I get from him. Oh, absolutely. Like he really, he has a great grill. He takes it very seriously. He doesn't let anyone else near his grill. Claire. That's the vibe I get from him. Brats. Brats. Mm -hmm. I think he's a brat. <laughs> he's a brat. Absolutely. But but he know he memorizes before before company comes over. He knows everybody's order. Yes. He knows exactly the condiments that you want. Yeah, and he tells everyone, he is a bit, uh, actually, as Nathan Mark points out, this is true. He is actually a big pizza guy. Frank Vogel loves pizza. Does he have like a wood fired pizza oven though? I just, feel like, I just feel like he's the host that like takes dinner very seriously to the point where you're just like, you need to chill, dude. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but, okay. Whether it's barbecuing or whether it's the wood fired grill, either way, Frank Vogel would know exactly what everybody wants. He would cook everything to specific orders. He wouldn't yep. feel put out by it at all. No, like, he loves to entertain. He love. He lives for it. Is he, he lives to entertain? Love, love him. Love Frank Vogel. He has yep. a very endearing smile. He looked so like I like I love him after the when they won the championship last year. Just like the look on his face because coaches don't really smile that much, obviously. But when when they won, it was like his whole face was a smile. It was yeah. so sweet. I feel like Andy is needle phobic, just to like kind of let people does not like getting shots. Obviously, all of us, you know, once it's available, go get the immunization one. I'm curious where this like, is going. <laughs> I feel like if Frank Vogel gave Andy his immunization, oh, he would be calming. Okay. He has a calming presence. Yeah, you know what I. I don't want to. I don't want to flood the guy with too many people, and I don't know his name. But the Rite Aid at I want to say it's Hauser and Wilshire, the guy that is in charge of the pharmacy. We I recently had to take in my daughter and my wife uh, went with us as well to get our uh, flu shots. Yeah, I this did that guy because I I'm needle phobic and my daughter you know she's nine she's kind of scared of shots too she probably got it from me and I I have to really put on a big show of looking brave in order to help encourage her this guy at Rite Aid is a goddamn magician like I mean it was the the flu shot he gave me it was like I went to a spa like I wanted Amazing. a second one he, all he right was, I didn't even, I didn't even realize that he injected me until it was done. Like, this guy was amazing. I love when a phlebotomist really knows their shit. He, he was unbelievable. Uh, I don't know his name, um, but if, if yeah, you're- Yeah, you to get his name so you can give him a good review on Yelp or whatever. If you're, if you're looking for a real- in my arm again. Yeah, if you're looking for a real treat with your vaccinations, <laughs> I, I highly recommend the Rite Aid at Hauser and Wilshire. Do you even know if they give it vaccinated? I mean, it's like a flu shot. I would just yeah. get a, I would get a second flu shot. Like I just go back in, even if you don't need it. You're like, oh, he is, he's, he's your yawn. He is my yawn. He is absolutely my yawn. That actually, I was about to say that's the you could make that the uh, the the plot of a rom com, except they actually use that gimmick in a movie called The Tall Guy with Jeff Goldblum and Emma Thompson, 
where he meets, he's going to get uh, a shot. He sees a nurse at uh, played by Emma Thompson and, and thinks she's so beautiful and is bowled over. He invents uh, a trip that he's taking to Morocco because you need a series of boosters just so oh he can God. keep going back and get shots from her. You know, what will they think of next? What will they think of next? I don't know. They thought of this in like 1991. Or and now, <laughs> they're just, now they're just rebooting movie. every movie they've made since. This so. is a very funny movie. I think you you you, you, you should you should rent it. I'll yeah. check it out. It's called The Tall Guy. All right. Um, so before we go, I, I want to talk a little bit about the All Star Game and the anthem thing because I think they are both um, they're tied together in the sense that both have <laughs> made Adam Silver and the league look bad. Uh, I think to to uh, certainly a, a healthy chunk of the of the NBA uh, fan base. Starting with the All Star Game, the players who are going to play in the game clearly do not want to do it. Not not a one, <laughs> not a single one. Do you think so there's any chance? Yeah, do you, either one of you think there's a chance that they end up not playing? Nope. Uh yeah. I do, but not because they don't want to play, but because like I think public public opinion matters a lot to the NBA, and they they do care. I mean, that's why they had such strict you know COVID protocols in place for when they brought the season back. It wasn't because they actually give a fuck about health and safety. It was because at the time we all were taking COVID very seriously as a country. Well, I, I and, think it's both. You can you can okay. do both. You can you can okay. care about your players not getting sick and also be very conscious. I think they of the care in theory, but I think they care less than they they were. Uh, proselytizing that they cared. But I think that the main thing was that at the time, public favor was very much like, you know, stay home and quarantine. And we were all being very vigilant. And so they were like, we're going to play in a bubble. And so I think if there's like a big public outcry of like this All-Star game seems incredibly reckless and irresponsible, like if enough of if enough of America is like horrified by it, which I don't think is going to happen. But if if it were to, I think it, they would cancel it. But I don't think they're going to cancel it just because the players don't want to play because I don't think they really care. Well, I mean, I, I think I agree with you that uh, the optics matter. And, yeah. early, you know, la last year, you know, they, they did the bubble. And look, I mean, obviously the bubble was also about recouping losses and all that stuff. They were really dead set on getting that playoff television revenue. But at the same time, they managed to pull that thing off really without a hitch at all. It was really impressively run. And, you know, they, they really did accomplish their goal. With that being said, I don't think that if the optics were really that bad, they would have even bothered doing an all-star game in the first place. Clearly, they think the optics aren't that bad because they're doing it. Because, they, I mean, this is this is one of those things where if they had just said they, they were going to cancel it, everybody would have understood. And the money obviously matters, and they're looking to get back every bit they possibly can. But in the yeah, grand... Okay, to get that big. Yeah, but it, but in the grand scheme of things, the All Star Game isn't nearly as big as like the entire season or the playoffs or that sort of thing. Right. So I mean, there was a workaround. They just ultimately, I don't think public sentiment is. If there was really going to be an outrage to this or a backlash, they would have felt it by now. And, well, and I, I think you're right; it didn't really exist. The optics are getting graded on a curve too. So I think that like you know, where we're at as a country is everyone just has like vigilance fatigue and they're just sick of caring. And they're just like, 
the vaccines are coming and we're all just, and like people are just sick of staying home. And so I think they're just sort of banking on that people are exhausted of being vigilant. And so and that includes policing corporations and policing what, you know, what events people are hosting and stuff. Yeah. And so I don't think that they, I don't think that they think people think it's a great idea. I think that they're just counting on people being too tired to protest it. Basically, yeah, the, If you stage the game, the league gets the revenue. What I, what I think is funny is the wrong word, but you guys think you understand what I mean. Like, there are a lot of reasons that people point to, you know, you're bringing all these people to Atlanta. It is completely unnecessary. There's no oh, question about that. I will not argue that that point at all. Um, the risk, I think, to individual players of contracting COVID, I think, is actually pretty small. I think the, 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 the protocols and everything that they'll have people go through are going to be so strict. The protocols that they'll, that they'll be under while they're there are going to be so strict. The access is going to be so tight. That I, I, it'll be a, a, a little bubble for, you know, for a week or whatever it is. Oh, it's and not I, even I, that. Like Thirty six hours. Whatever, whatever it is. I think the actual risk to players is reasonably small. Um, you know, I, I, it brings people to Atlanta, right, where there's think, like no COVID protocols at all in place. But, but like the players aren't going to be going to any events, and then like the any any sort of sanctioned like NBA partner. Everybody has parties and this and that. It's good. the optics on having those and like clubbing if you're a shoe company or if you're like, it's going to be really low key. And so I, I worry less about the spread of COVID. The product on the court is going to be terrible. Yeah. That to definitely. me is the biggest reason not to do it is that you like none of these guys, they're all going to resent being there because they want the time off and they deserve the time off. Yeah. And it's a clusterfuck to try to get them. To, uh, to do it, I just feel like the product is going to be terrible. But I will say this, before you only blame Adam Silver and all this other, under people do need to understand, it's, you know, the Players Association drives the bus on this sort of thing. You heard Chris Paul say it, like we're doing this with the entire Players Association in mind, meaning, hey, stars, suck it up. This is revenue that the, re you know, James Ennis wants this game to happen not LeBron James. Right. So I mean, I mean, the players want this. You know, the low-level guys want this. There's some level of risk just because I think that if you tell the biggest stars in any sport that they can't participate in the parties that everyone's throwing basically in their honor all week, like the chances that no one is going to break that protocol and it all no it takes one will show like, up. I don't think again, this, this to my understanding, this is really just going to be like a 36 hour thing at the most. Like these guys get in, I think, in Atlanta on Saturday and they leave right after the game. Yeah. If, if, if a company or whatever has any events, the players will not be there because they, they, they can't be. They just can't. Yeah. That part I, I don't I mean, worry about. The other, so then there's two other parts to me. The, the second part that concerns me is that it will attract people to Atlanta. And so, like, mm -hmm. A lot of people are going to get COVID because this event is happening and they might not yeah. be famous NBA players, but people are going to get sick because of this and people might die because of this. And and just because that they're not like directly associated with NBA doesn't make that not a grave concern. And then the third part to me is I think it's incredibly disrespectful towards like the all-star, like the all-star caliber players, because Absolutely. you promised them they weren't, they weren't going to come back till February and yes. then you reneged on that promise. And then when you reneged on it, you said, okay, well, we're not coming back. We're going to come back in December because we need to keep Christmas Day, but All-Star is not going to happen this year and you're going to have a week off. And then you went back on that. And it's just like, it's just really poor practice, I think. And it's like, 
the, that talent is your product. Like they are the, the all-star level talent is what makes people tune into games. And if you're going to treat them like you don't care about their, cause forget about COVID. I mean, not forget about COVID. You can't, but like COVID aside, like the amount of like injuries and stuff that are a concern every year from the all-star game, especially with such a short turnaround this year. Like, I just feel like it's super disrespectful. It's, um, it's unnecessary. It's it's really unnecessary. I mean that that when you look at the practical implications of having this thing, it's really really. It, there's no pragmatism involved with this. No, I mean you know, and there I think, like Brian said, I I don't I my initial reaction when I heard about this was like, like are you kidding in the middle of a pandemic? But then the more I thought about it, and you know, I heard other people talk about it, and then also just seeing what I think the actual setup is. Like, honestly, I think there's a greater chance for some of these guys being left on their own for like five days with no protocols, potentially traveling. I think there's a greater risk for a lot of those guys. Yeah. Potentially end up exposed than our players. I mean, and this was a point I heard somebody else bring up, but uh, like they may actually be relatively the most safe during that period when it comes to COVID. But in terms of the actual ask, I completely agree that I know I speak for Brian. Like it's. It's just not great timing, and you're just you're going to see these guys really, really dislike being there. Yeah, I, I I don't know what the appeal is to putting guys that type of spotlight on guys who clearly just don't want to be. Like I feel like the reward for making the All Star team should be you don't have to play. Right. Like everybody else should have to go this down. Sound like the twenty-three worst, most disappointing players. Like Kelly Oubre should have to play. <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing is too is like there's a phrase my mom uses all the time of cutting off your nose to spite your face, and I feel like this is like the personification of that. Where it's like, yes, you're getting your money for TNT and whatever, but you're cutting off your nose to spite your face because not only are you fucking pissing off the most important players in your league, but you're also ma- making yourself look terrible, PR wise all for like one night's worth of revenue. Like it's yeah, just not- And it's a lot of, look, it's a lot of, I am very, I, I get a little bit kind of like eye rolly when people, oh, they should, you know, there are people who, you know, they should cancel the season. They shouldn't be playing at all. Like and I, there, there are arguments to be made for it, but like if I were a, prof- if I had the talent to be a professional basketball player and my window is between age 24 and 30, you know, in age 28, 29, if I'm lucky, I might get five years or something like that to make, you know, five, 10, 12 million dollars or whatever it might be doing this, you're damn right. I'm going to try to claw back every year, like losing a year of that, losing a year and a half of that. I wouldn't want to do it as a player. And so I, I it's not just the league and, you know, um, you know, greedy corporatists and all these, there is that, but like, you know, greedy rich owners who want to play these games. It's the athletes too, who have this incredible talent that doesn't wait for the pandemic to be over. Yeah. But like you say, Claire, like there's that place where it's like, okay, we need the money. The players want the money. They want to be able to share it. It all goes back in the pot and half of it goes to the players. But at some point you got to be like, okay, is this where we want to do it? Like, is this the spot where we want to make, make a stand on this kind of thing? And I just don't think it's, I don't think ultimately, unless I totally misunderstand how much money we're talking about. Especially if you're going <laughs> to condense it all into one game like if they're, they're talking about having the dunk contest at halftime like how much revenue are we really talking about with one with like a four-hour event you know what i mean like how much ad revenue and stuff are you really generating no, at that no. that's that's the thing maybe i'm maybe i'm wildly underestimating how much they're trying to get back here it's not billions like the playoffs 
No, I mean, I just think that it's the more you condense it, the more ridiculous it seems almost like I understand that it's supposed to look better if they're like, oh, we're all we're going to condense it into one day. But then I'm like, well, then it's extra stupid for you to do this shit. Because like, how many commercials are we talking really? You know, like. Better be a lot of them. Uh, before we like whistle, <laughs> every whistle there's a <laughs> like they should play the commercials during the game. Yeah, just um, in the bottom corner. Before we let you go, I, I got a music question I wanted to ask you that I remember I, I was going to bring up the first time you were on, and we just ran out of time. And then I was yeah. reminded of it last night when we had our guest Ricky Cobb, who you can follow on Twitter at Super Seventy Sports, and his his entire Twitter persona and account is like an ode to nostalgia, you know, nostalgia in sports, nostalgia in pop culture, music, movies, very specific era, like 70s and 80s, you know, when Brian and I were growing up and like, you know, like even the 90s in there, but stuff that's got a certain amount of distance. And, you know, through his Twitter account, you see a lot of music references, like to bands and artists that clearly still resonate now. I'm curious who you think are the relatively modern either artists or bands, you know, that I, I guess have emerged in like the last, we'll say five to 10 years that you think will actually have resonance like future generations from now. Before you answer this question, the only reason I'm laughing is you could probably name like five bands and that are totally know. And I'd just be like nodding like, yes, she is exactly <laughs> right about that. I mean, I, I trust Claire not to fuck with our heads. I, I think you're 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 overestimating my coolness just a little bit because the majority of the music I listen to is a little older than the most recent five to ten years. But I can definitely name some bands from the last like five to fifteen years. I would okay, say your own your own band of window that you're. Um, I would say to me, I think Beach House is like if they're like my favorite band, and I think they're definitely oh, gonna like stand the test of time. Love them. They're so consistent. You don't know who they are. That's I have no okay. idea what that is. <laughs> they're they're like dream pop, if you know what that is. It's like I do know what that is. I'm writing okay. it down though. Like dreamy ethereal. Yeah. They to me, they're they're like gonna be like a Jefferson Airplane or something like that. Like they're just they make really cool, very vibey music that I think will age really well. Okay. Um, and they've had a really consistent career. Um, I'm curious to see what Phoebe Bridger's third record looks like. I really liked her first two records. I think she's really talented. She's blowing up. Like she's, I mean, the SNL thing was obviously like amazing PR, but like she's already getting huge and she's so young. So I think she's super talented. So I'm, you know, curious to see what comes of her. Um, I think like to me, like I think Kendrick Lamar is going to end up going down as one of the greatest rappers of all time, you know, when the dust settles. So I think he'll definitely be mentioned in the same conversation as like Jay-Z and Biggie and Yeah, um, that consensus al- that consensus really seems to be already established for him. Yeah, I agree. But I thought that way there's very few records I've listened to in my life where the first time I listened to them, I was like, this is gonna be a classic record. And I felt that way about Good Kid Mad City. Like the very first time I listened to it, I remember just being like, I'm gonna be living with this record for the rest of my life. Um Drake has been around more than 15 years, I think. But <laughs> probably has, yeah. I'm also not a huge Drake fan. You gotta have Waz on as a guest, and then Waz will wax, wax poetic about Drake to you. Okay. But no, yeah, I'm just I'm, uh, uh, I'm not the uh, one. As somebody who doesn't who who doesn't know a lot of really modern music and frankly doesn't like a lot of what I've really totally I, I knew two of those people. Um I, 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 two out of three is great. That's pretty good. 
Yeah. Like th- this is some this is something that I'm always curious about, especially like as I get older. Like you know, I've always been like a movie geek and a TV geek and a music geek and stuff. And you know, I've always cared about a lot of that. But as I get older, I find myself caring a lot more about the history with a lot of these different things and like really trying to even learn more than I already did or like the that that type of a just sort of historical record and like you know the idea of what people will care about and what might get lost if people don't care I just I'm curious and thinking about that a lot so I just well, I think to- about that all the time as a musician like I think about like for example like one of my favorite artists is Joni Mitchell yeah. and my mom and I both love her and um (laughs) and the record blue you know got my mom through her 20s and it got me through my 20s and it's it's a record that like hasn't aged a day in that way and is right out it worked i'm it's it's my best it's my personal favorite album of all time it's my goat album if i had to choose one is blue but so for me like when i write songs and when i'm making music i try and think about it in that context i try when i'm actually writing, I try not to think about any of that stuff because it like will totally fuck you over. But when I'm deciding what songs to add to like actually make the final cut and stuff and, you know, decide what I release, I try and think about it as like, could this stand the test of time? And, you know, like, is, is this my best effort basically? And I try and think about it like, is this a record that like a mom would pass down to her kid? Like, is it that caliber? And that's what I try and put out as a musician. And I try and make music that I think is timeless. Like I don't really follow trends as a musician and I try and just make songs that I think are like timeless songs. And that song first production second to me is really important because production does age no matter what you do, no matter, you know what I mean? Like no matter how timeless of a sound you're going for, it's going to age itself because production evolves over time. But if you write an amazing song that can stand on its own, like that will age well. So to me, it's like focusing on like the bones of the song and writing really good music. I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that just because I I would love I think maybe we'll do this one show to get a musician and a comedian on the same show because I'm fascinated by the question that Andy asked like why certain things have staying power in music and I'm particularly interested in what why something is funny and how something stays funny because comedy really dates quickly and can often date quickly Um, and so what what remains funny to me is is just all that stuff is fascinating but i think it has a lot great, in common it's a great with answer about production i think it has a lot in common with music in the sense that i think that the things that stay funny and the things that stay relevant in any art form are things that are just like fundamental human experience yeah. and there's certain things about the human experience that just remain true regardless of everything that changes around you you know like you're always going to get your heart broken you're always going to have an existential crisis you're always going to have growing pains like you're always going to fall in love. Like all these things are always going to be true. And so like there's, and you're always going to get embarrassed and you're always going to feel insecure. Like there's just certain things, right. That are just like generationally, like it doesn't matter if you're 85 or five, like it's just constant. And so like those sort of touchstones, I think are the things that are long lasting and that's like the vulnerable stuff. And that's, and you know, you can't like punching down doesn't age well because that's not, vulnerable you're not having to look inward at yourself and your own human experience to do that so people are scared of that sometimes but i think that's that's the art that like really lasts is when you have to like look inward and and sort of expose the most embarrassing scary vulnerable parts of yourself yeah absolutely i mean there's there's a reason people will connect to it generation after generation like there's got to be something to that like i think what you're talking about just that 
you know, vulnerability is, I think, something that people will relate to whether they want to admit it or not. Yep. Yeah. And as, as Vance points out, one thing that's always true, you're always going to have to move <laughs> to a new place. And when you do, Jan will be there. And when you do, <laughs> don't move to the first floor. This is the lesson I've learned two times over now. Just don't do it. Don't live on the first floor. It's not worth it. doesn't matter how cute the apartment is. Or the movie. Your living room is beautiful. Thank you so much. It is nice, actually. It almost looks like a Zoom background. It's so cute. <laughs> well, if you guys ever need advice about interior design, it's like one of my favorite hobbies. So, okay, okay. well, what can we <laughs> This room here has some. You need some art on the walls. That's <laughs> my art. first thought. But that's a nice fiddly fig tree in the background. I just, I just oh, saw it very briefly. Yeah. Tell my wife loves that thing. I have one. Of, I have one of those as well. We've got, you know, you'd think actually we've been here almost the length of the pandemic. We've been about a year, and you'd think we'd be more moved in, like we'd have everything on the walls. Like no. You actually decorate really slowly during a pandemic too. My thing was like, I was so miserable the first few days here. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to survive unless I make it painfully adorable in here. Like just, you know what I mean? So I just went ham on like 12 hours a day decorating. Cause I was it like, I just good. have to make it cute. Thank it you so much. Good. You got a plant in the background, a few plants. I have several plants. Yeah. There you go. Dust it's important to have friends. All right. We, we will do this again. We will, yes. we will, we will go through this. Well, it's official because I agree with you. So that's right. There you go. There you go. Maybe, maybe depending on booking half the dates. So if, if enough people are vaccinated, things turn the right way. You can join us with Jan. That sounds great. Noir asked us to do a live stream show. We are like right I think now. She, I think he means live stream music. Oh, okay. Like playing songs. I, think I did that a couple times when the when my EP came out a few months ago, and I didn't love it. I gotta say, okay. it's well, really weird to play songs to a computer and no people. We're not gonna make you do that if you don't want to, because then you <laughs> won't be happy with it. It, it, it. It's not a good thing. Yeah. You just have to wait until the pandemic is over, and then you can play a proper concert. And I can play shows again. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, all right. So a tiny Daps is where you find the music. It is awesome. It is worth listening to. Um, and you will enjoy it. Uh, Monday, we're going to take Monday off. It's a holiday, and we're just going to take advantage of that, and then we'll be back Tuesday with who, Andy? Um, let me take a look. Uh, Tuesday's oh, Jason, uh, Jason Jones. Jason Jones covers the Kings and the NBA for The Athletic. Great guest. He's been on before. Alex Kennedy on Wednesday, and then we'll look at the uh, big Nets game on Thursday. That'll be a lot of fun. So uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Three-day weekend. Woo! Woo! Donkey.